The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wolf and Bull podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Daremore Media, the Wolf and Bull, or its affiliates. The Wolf and Bull podcast is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast is for expressive listening entertainment. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Wolf and Bull Podcast. I am your friendly neighborhood wolf. And with me, I have my wonderful laughing co-host. The Bull is here. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, do we have a wonderful, wonderful episode in store for you today. If you happen to be someone who is looking for a podcast that is full of captivating conversations, laughs, and a thought-provoking listen, if that's you, you have find, found, find, found the right podcast. And we're so happy to have you. Now, if you'd like to find more of our content, you can find our content on Instagram at The Wolf and Bull. It's going to pop up right there. And on YouTube, mostly every week, we are also on The Wolf and Bull there as well. So you can find our content online and all of our socials. I'll have them all listed out really nicely and succinctly. So it'll be great. Now, just a quick reminder for our listeners. This episode is brought to you by Americano Ammunition Coffee. Serving true American patriots, the means to defend their freedom, one caffeinated caliber at a time. Make sure to visit their website, ammoandcoffee.com, and grab yourself a bag of coffee beans or visit their shop in Queen Creek, Arizona. If you mention the Wolf and Bull at the checkout, you get 25% off of your order. What's the math on that? That is excellent. That's mm. 25% off? You mean wow. for every three you buy, you get one free? That's incredible. Unbelievable. That's incredible. My elementary uh. math skills phenomenal unbelievable yeah absolutely phenomenal joining us in the studio today is one of the best people i know he's intelligent he is suave he is a published author he is one of my best friends and he is my younger brother welcome to the wolf Bull podcast gabriel aka g holiday hello <laughs> <laughs> Hi, that's the perfect you? intro. That's awesome. Just, that is awesome. It just zooms. Oh, oh, we're good. We're good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. This is this is the place to be. Right now, we're going to have an unbelievable conversation. No more laughter. No more me. laughter. No more. No more. You guys out there missed it all. It was the wolf was oh falling God. to pieces. Mm-hmm. He had oh. to crawl back into his wolf. I den, did. I did. Recollect I, himself. Yeah. He did well. A specific sandwich shop is haunting me right now. It oh, is not geez. sitting with me well, so I am struggling today. So, without another sentence, should I jump into the monologue? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's nail it. If you're a fan of the Wolf and Bull podcast, you're likely familiar with our heart for those around us who think, act, or experience the world differently than we do. Just because someone sees the world differently than you might doesn't mean that their perception is inherently wrong. It just means that it's different. Unfortunately, we're at a time in American history when false virtue and egocentric perspective takes precedence over actually working to solve the problems that we face. Because of this, differences in experience or worldview often breed contempt. Not because opinion is better or worse, but because it's currently popular opinion to think and identify with your tribe rather than what may be morally or ethically right. This often leaves the groups of people that we profess to care so much about in the very same place that they were prior to when it was popular to fight for them. Earl Nightingale once said, when you judge others, you do not define them, you define yourself. 
Coincidentally, this quote applies to all parties, not just those that we deem victims or those that we deem oppressors, because that quote is cross-applicable. It's observed that we tend to put people into boxes that we deem appropriate so that we can further our own agenda and against an enemy or for a group in need. Growing up with my brother exposed me early on to the strange cognitive dissonance that society seems to have for those that are different from the norm. Any attention seems to come from a place of overt sensitivity and or a savior complex, which, in my opinion, hurts more than it helps. That's why in this episode, we've brought my brother onto the show to discuss his writings, his position on this issue, and how he's overcome this strange social quandary that seems to plague American culture. I know we'll dive into this a little bit, but you talked about tribes. You talked about this this collective activism. I often wonder when I see people that take certain positions, really strong positions, opposing others, mm-hmm. you know, the, the in, in, is it something that they see internally to their own self-image or are they taking those positions often because of that tribe, because of that group, because of that, whether rightly or wrongly, they're trying to protect or be a part of something else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wonder about that, and and I, I, it's, this is not an indictment of of how people view things, but it's a a real pertinent question I have about individualism versus collectivism, because I think that's what you're really saying here. Yeah, well, I, I think a big portion of that monologue, even though I stumbled through it as I do every monologue. Uh, fun fact, guys, I am not an expert yet, um, but uh, yeah, I think a big part of what's happening right now in today's society is a strong desire to find some semblance of acceptance in a world that doesn't really support community right now, at least in the way that people are normally used to it, if that makes any logical sense. I think there's like a, a cognitive dissonance that definitely happens with individuals who take the side of those that they see to be marginalized. And then they tend to see anyone who seemingly looks like they objectify to their position as being the absolute enemy. And it doesn't really open the door for communication. You know, acceptance though, and Gabe, I'd love to hear your input on this because acceptance from, and I'm much older than both of you, of course. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but anyway, that was a soft one. That was that was a soft one. That was good. Yeah, right? that was good. Yeah. Okay. But when I when I go back into my history, you always and this goes back to something I said a second ago. I was always looking, as any human being would do, for acceptance into a larger crowd. But I was looking for them to accept me for who I am, and I, I'm not so sure that's the same outlook the younger generations have. Sometimes you're looking to be accepted as an individual or more pointedly pointedly as a group of individuals mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm articulating that correctly but do you do you yeah. have an opinion on that well i think at the core of everybody's desire is to feel accepted by um the people around them and the uh the cultural uh, whole of the world but um yeah i think there's also some some peace in wanting to be accepted as a group because a lot of us really find community to be something that's very important to us, especially when it comes to maybe our interests mm-hmm. or our um, where we're from or mm-hmm. what we're a part of, essentially. And those things become very important to us. So it's, it kind of can sometimes become a part of us. And some people may think that if you don't accept that, then you don't. they're not accepting you, mm-hmm. for instance. So, Do you stack up? being accepted as an individual first 
or do you stack up the group that you affiliate with as needing the acceptance first? For me personally? Yes, for you personally. Um, I know it's it's kind of an odd question, but I, I'm just, I'm asking just to, to kind of extend that a little bit. I'm asking it because I look out into the, the especially in North America today, everybody tries to line up with mm-hmm. particular, you know, so, uh, not even socioeconomic groups, but ideologies pretty much. And it seems like they often put that ahead of themselves. And I'm not so sure if that's the correct thing to do. I feel like from my point of view, you almost should be looking to be accepted, whether it's in a group or society as a whole, from your personal standpoint first. Mm-hmm. I don't know which you prioritize. For the longest time, even without, I think, knowing it, I more prioritized being accepted as myself rather than as my group because there's many times where I haven't really felt a part of a group, for one, mm-hmm. and I've kind of lost a sense of importance of being a part of a group because it just didn't mean much to me. Mm. And not that that isn't important. Like I am a part of groups, mm-hmm. even if they don't want me and chase me out. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that I've always wanted to just be read and perceived as an individual and as my own person mm-hmm. rather than what I'm perceived as based on what I'm connected to, because it just, it doesn't define me as a person because I'm so many different things See, at once. I think you just cut through my kind of nonsense question because I think my opinion is aligned with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I, I think for a lot of people out there, it tends to be backward that they don't self-identify or, or come to grips with who they are personally. Mm-hmm. So they clump on to the tribe first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, in my opinion, that's the second kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, because you can belong to a lot of different groups, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have a lot of variants about what we like and what we don't like and who we think we are and who we don't think we are, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But you have to be, you know, it's, it's the old simple adage you get every time you go on a plane, put your own mask on first. Yeah. In other words, figure out your own shit first yeah. before you, you know, do anything else. Yeah, and I think we're going to talk probably relatively deeply about that today but before we jump into like the really nitty-gritty gabe you know i would love for you to provide our listeners and our viewers with some context um specifically about who you are and what your publications are about mm-hmm. can you provide our listeners with some context about your book uh morning glories and an ocean view of course i mean if you've already heard about it i bet you're wondering he's still doing promo for this and my answer is i never did it so here it is um anyway it's a it's a poetry book that i wrote a couple of years ago and it's basically a, a it's it's stylized like a diary and inspired by it, but it's in, an introspective work, mm. and um, it really plays on the things that would really worry you when you're just in bed at the middle of the night, and if you have any problems with people or anything that's bothered you for years, or just things that you're trying to work through but you can't really work through them mm. that easily. It's it's really like me trying to capture the mind of a person who is trying to overcome so many obstacles in their lives and do become whole Mm. and sort of transition partly from a teenage mind and how teenagers deal with their um, feelings to an adult mind and how adults feel, um, how adults go through their feelings because at that time I was 21 going on 22 and that's a big step 
I always say like the years of 17 to maybe the early 20s are like such big years because such big changes happen every year. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, it slowly happens over time. It's like, bam, 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 because, you know, you become an adult, you get new responsibilities and new outlooks and everything and develop more. Yeah. And I think that was a big theme in that, as well as maybe the stages of grief, because uh, everybody goes through that, whether it be through losing somebody or through experiencing something that really hurt you. And it's just many things at once, especially. But overall, it's just how we as people feel when we're not able to function. Yeah. In um in our everyday lives the way people think we should function. Now did this feeling about this book, did it push you in the direction of wanting to pursue poetry as a form of expression? Um or was there something else going on in your life that kind of drew you to that form of writing? So I wasn't exactly like a poetry freak at the time. Um in fact I was more into writing lyrics and this is more of like a lyrically inspired book. Um at the time, I didn't really study every facet of poetry, which bothers me now. It's not really the fact it, that it bothers me that I could improve it more. Mm-hmm. It's more that I'm just a person that likes to know everything about something that I'm doing and really immerse myself in it before I do it. But this sort of book was done with two things in mind. When I do a work, I usually like to connect to something that is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Like my first book, it was um, a YA fiction novel. And it was fantasy. And one of my favorite parts of literature ever since I was a child was fantasy books and fantasy movies and everything like that. So that's one thing. And then this one was inspired by how I love the lyric, lyrics, lyrical works and music and how beautiful it is that you can encapsulate so many feelings in a few words Mm -hmm. and poetry. And it's not that I had no base in poetry at all. Of course, I had high school literature like Edgar Allan Poe and everything. But um, yeah, it was just me trying to speak in a way that resonated with me mm. at the time. Very good. Very nice. Now, when it comes to your creative process, is there a specific habitual pattern that you go through when it comes to you know writing, be it poetry or fantasy fiction, or science fantasy, fantasy fiction, what am I saying? Uh, fantasy writing or any other writing that you're pursuing, is there a specific process that you have to get the juices flowing? Not really. Um, It's usually when I have like a strike of inspiration at a random time Mm -hmm. where something really like hits me and really resonates with me. Um, Be it like a concept or if I'm like outside and I see something that really like hits me, I'm like, wow, that's cool. I just thinking of something that's really poetic. Or a lot of the times something that happens with me is um, when I'm talking to somebody, I'll accidentally say something that I really like and that I really think um, captures a theme that I'm resonating with. It's mainly just me wanting to express myself and speak in a way that works for me. Cause I've also often had problems speaking mm-hmm. and saying what I mean in life and art through writing is how I say what I mean and mm-hmm. how I communicate well. So yeah, it's just me finding a new way every time. Very cool. So this is, this is more of a stream of consciousness versus a programmed systematic outlined kind of thing yeah. you just get going and really fire mm-hmm. away huh mm-hmm. that's exciting that because that's but it's also it, it 
that kind of writing, from my understanding, really absorbs a lot of energy. Of course. Or not absorbs. It, it, you need a lot of energy to get through that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Now, question, very important one. Do you have any projects currently planned for the future? Yes. Are you going to give us any <laughs> insight into that at all? No. Okay. Well, wow. projects planned for the okay. future. Wow, so, mystery. Uh, no. Big mystery. We've had, we've had the science fiction fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. We've had the poetry, sort of the, the diary style, free flow. And I love the title, by the way. The Thank Ocean you. View and Morning Glories, or vice versa, I should say. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Let's think. What could it be next? Could it be a, a murder a, mystery? A deep, could it be a, intrinsic evaluation of the Church of Scientology. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yes. <laughs> uh, that well, must be it. <laughs> one thing I will share is that my main motivation now really hardly contrast with what my motivation was for morning glories and an ocean view. Um, my motivation for that was me being kind of sick of restriction mm-hmm. and not being able to say what I wanted to say and do what I wanted to do. Um, I did everything in that book by myself except for maybe the photography for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really me thinking about how the obstacles that I personally face with who I am if I wanted to take that to a traditional publisher, I know exactly what they'd say to me. And even if they did take it, because it's not something that's traditional, it's very like, it's like, I don't know. It's just not something that I feel was very marketable at the time. Mm. Just telling people how you feel, especially from such like a, a niche mind. I don't want to say like, oh, I'm so unique. Cause I'm not, I'm, I'm not with my mind. I'm just trying to say that, I was not marketable for what I was feeling for other people. Mm. People wouldn't connect with that. So even if I was taken for um, my, my manuscript was taken, I know for a fact that they wouldn't have let me do that cover. Mm. And I did that cover for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. So it was just me having the control over it and saying what I wanted to say without any filters at all and not caring if there was any format, which is very big no, no for English and literature because you have to do this, 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 and this for your writing mm-hmm. for it to be good. And I just didn't, that clashed with me. So with this next one, not that I'm going to abide by like a strict formula or anything, but I want it to be really good. Mm-hmm. I want it to be something that really like connects with people and is like really just is powerful and means a lot mm-hmm. on its own, even if it may be cliche in some areas or innovative in other areas. So I want to try and make it something bigger than itself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So well, this last one was just for you. Yeah, yeah, just for me. Now this one is well for you also, but also for others, especially mm-hmm. probably involved in the same kind of thinking process as you have, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, yeah. like um, Morning Glories and Ocean View was uh, a really, I can do this. It was me trying to pat myself up because there was a huge time with my writing and my like five year gap because my first book I did when I was 17. Um, I started writing when I was 14 and then got it out 17 and I just didn't do anything for five years because I was like so insecure about my writing. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't think I could do it myself. And I had so many people telling me that what I was doing and what I, my ideas were, were not good. And it just stopped me for a long time. But then I had a moment where I felt a lot better about my writing and my words. Mm-hmm. And I could not stop writing from there. One minute, MGov was just disjointed in a bunch of different poems from like years before that I hadn't even touched. 
Next minute, I was writing something every single day, every single hour, and I could not stop. Mm. And then I pulled it together within months, and I put it out, and there it was. Mm. Very cool. If mm. only if only most writers could do that. <laughs> <laughs> most writers get that writer block, and it, and it just, just becomes a bigger and bigger block. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Sounds like you pushed right on through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds- intentionally so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it also sounds like you overcame a lot of adversity in that area. I did. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, I'd love to uh, to dive into that a little bit because you and I both know that your life is a lot different than a, a lot of people, you know, around you. Mm-hmm. Can we provide some insight into our view, uh, for our viewers and listeners on what your life experience has been like and some of the struggles that you've had to overcome? It's been harrowing mm-hmm. and really tumultuous. Uh, it definitely hasn't been easy. And I'm not going to like go into a sob story about how I have glass bones and paper skin and every day I fall over and shatter into a million pieces. <laughs> like, no, it's just, there's definitely obstacles that I've had to overcome in mm-hmm. my life and to deal with. And ever since I was a little kid and I've, I've had to been put in, had to be put in um, adult scenarios in impossible situations. And mm-hmm. that really molds you to go into multiple um, different directions, Mm -hmm. either good or bad. And as a person, you can go through all of them Mm -hmm. at the same time and you can end up making the wrong choices, making the right choices. And for somebody that doesn't really have like somebody to precede them Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, I went, I went through this too. Mm -hmm. I don't have anybody like that. I know who has had the exact same experience as me. So I can't ask questions. So it's kind of just me being on my own. And while that can be hard, at least I know that I can try different things mm-hmm. and mess up and see what works and what doesn't. And it's whatever sometimes, but can I think we, I've learned a lot. Yeah. Can we give a granular perspective on what that over adversity for you meant, maybe from a personal perspective, like life experience? I know that I'm kind of diving into this because I want our viewers and listeners to understand the level of adversity that you've overcome you know, physically and then potentially life experience when it comes to people you've been around? So I was, uh, since I was born, I had a very, very rare neuromuscular disability. Um, it basically means that all my muscles in my body are affected and I have weakness and uh, it, it was just, uh, we didn't even know what I had for sure until I was 15. And, um, Uh, It makes me get tired when I walk long distances. Um, I can't do strenuous physical activity. I can't lift a lot. Uh, You know, I just get like tired from a lot of things. Like I went to this massive concert a few days ago and um, it just took a lot out of me just being there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just being tired all the time. And it sucks and it affects everything. It affects my lungs, my heart, everything. And it just, it's not fun, but, um, it's, yeah, is this like a, a um, tangential form of dystrophy of some kind? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a part of the muscular of, dystrophy fan, it's the um, family, family. Of, yeah, yeah. It, there's there's so many. It affects like a, a specific gene, and it's just really complicated. And the name is complicated too. And it's just when everybody, whenever anybody asks, I'm just like, I don't know, dude. Neither <laughs> yeah. do I know. But um, yeah that 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 means a lot because it put a lot of obstacles in my way growing mm-hmm. up. Like when I was uh, just a toddler, I was really floppy and I had developmental delays like by a short little bit. And 
at one point, you know, I didn't have documentation of this. I found it. Um, Mom kept it all. But uh, um, I had doctors who didn't, of course, they didn't know my actual diagnosis yet. But um, they were saying that I may not be able to walk without a walker or any assistive devices. Well, I was just crawling and rolling around and stuff. And, of course, I didn't understand that as a child. I like to think that I did, but... Um, the days later I ended up just standing up and walking on my own. Mm-hmm. And then, um, a lot of, I just heard a lot of, you can't, you can't do this and you can't do that physically. And I've ended up proving it wrong. Like I've done, you know, pretty strenuous things mm-hmm. and overcome what I deal with when I want to. Yeah. And, um, it really messes with you because when you hear that you can't all the time you really limit yourself because you don't think you can do a lot of the things you might want to do. So you don't even consider them. And then years later, when you end up doing it, you're like, why didn't I do this earlier? Mm -hmm. And you miss out on all this time. And like, it's just disappointing. So, um, well, I definitely don't think it's something yeah. for you to be disappointed about. I mean, you're a published author. You, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah you, you fuck, fuck you doctors. Um, <laughs> I mean like you, you were able to prove them wrong. So, I mean, these are things to be proud about. And I think a big, a big part of really a, from a, from a intellectual perspective on this conversation, I think a big part and a big takeaway that I'd love to be able to provide for our viewers and listeners is that it, no matter what you're, personal life experiences, no matter what your circumstances, there's always an alternative to overcome and transcend whatever the opposition may say that whatever the opposition may say, you can't, if that makes sense. Well, interestingly, already in this, this conversation, you've brought up a number of things that keep reminding me of the fact that we all have choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're, you're, when you're talking about your writing, when you're talking about your, your physical disabilities and, and what you've gone through in your life so far, each one of those things to overcome them require, you know, self reflection um, and almost being introverted in a way where you can say, no, I can do. Mm-hmm. And th- the writing thing is the first thing that I thought of because the writer's block thing we talked about, most people have that and they wait for outside circumstances to create an avenue for them to either, either move forward or go in a different direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've made a choice to say no to that and push through it anyway. Yeah. Probably for the same reason you've overcome some of the physical things you've talked about because mm-hmm. you've decided you freaking can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that is a huge message for anybody watching this or listening to this to take away for sure. Now, I know that it's kind of pop culture trend right now to jump on the bandwagon of support, which I have my opinions about. And I don't mean in the sense of like bringing awareness to something. I mean, in the sense of people normally tend to say, yes, I agree with that. And yes, I'll jump on that. But then they do not a lot about it. One thing I'd love to ask you is, is there any advice that you'd like to give someone who wants to be more supportive of people with disabilities? Listen to the person, of course. Don't go in to knowing somebody with a disability with preconceived notions because they will always, always prove you wrong. Always. Even with like other people with disabilities that I've known, you know, there's always a person in there. They're not fragile. They have, they're three dimensional and you got to approach them the same way you approach a person that's, you know, may not have any disabilities because again, we're all people and we all just want to be seen for the person inside of us rather than, uh, 
how we look or how we appear mm. because how we appear isn't always the full story. Yeah. Why do you think people have a proclivity of doing that? Like putting individuals that may seem different than them in a box? Well, I could go on like the whole psychology route. Let's do it. About how it's psychologically easier for people to just look at the surface because of our own schema, which are like uh, basic characteristics and like, I wish I had a good definition for it right now, but um, it's like the basics of society. Like what would you think a dad is like? You would list some factors of how normal dads are like, or uh, what would a situation be like if you went to the aquarium? You would see fish. And, you know, if somebody deviates from that normal perception of people, you may feel threatened by that. Not necessarily like, oh, this person is going to hurt me, but just like, what is going on here mm-hmm. with, you know, some cognitive dissonance and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just easier for people cognitively to do that. You know, we like to take shortcuts with our, in our minds, like with language and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I think agree. also people just don't really try because you know it's it what benefit does it have to them to try with like that and um of course there are people who try to get to know people no matter who they are i'm not gonna broadly swath over society because i know that's not fair and not true but it's kind of the same thing you're talking about there's there's a window of perception that we all have that we view things Mm -hmm. talking about aquariums or father figure or any you can name a million different things yeah but there's there's kind of the end parameters on things that we recognize as within the norm Mm -hmm. whatever that norm is and when when you see someone or meet someone or hear someone that's different or i I, it could be i think it comes back to defining kind of the bigger tribe Mm -hmm. right yeah and there's an outliers mentality and so the the question becomes is how do we widen our view and we wind our view by accepting that there's a person inside, as you mm-hmm. said earlier, yeah. right? That's, that's I think, one of the main things we have to do. Yeah. And I think it's really kind of, uh, at least from my observation, because I've, I've witnessed, I mean, living with you for 19 years of my life, I, I've witnessed, um, I've seen the struggle in real time mm-hmm. of people trying to comprehend the dynamics of a certain situation. And I mean, when it comes to me personally, I've always seen you as the same as me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, obviously, when I was younger, I was probably a little bit more forcible uh, with that than I should have been. But at the same time, like my perspective of people who have you know disabilities is that they're just slightly different than everyone else, mm-hmm. and that's a benefit. They they see the world differently than everyone else does, and that's not a detrimental thing. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to trying to process that from my perspective. It's kind of like a you ever. I mean, we've we've talked about um, we've talked about some of the other relatives that we have that have um, disabilities as, as well. And there's always seems to be kind of like a weird like social shift with some people that don't really have an experience with that. Like well, are you it, picking it, up what I'm putting down. Well, yeah, but part of it is the numbers. We we call things disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's even a misnomer, right? It's just a different collection of abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. You know, Gabe, you have a whole lot of abilities that I don't have. Yeah. And and if if you wanted to, you could view the lack of me having your abilities as a disability, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all viewpoint. And today, I, I think in your notes later, it's it's like a one in five, quote unquote. And I don't know if that's physical or mental or a combination. Probably thereof. a combination. In, in 
you know, you know, family members that we have that, that have other types of disabilities. And I, I always hearken back to this friend of mine. Uh, he, he had, the first time I met him, he was this, this big time lawyer. Matter of fact, he, he in the state of California was part of a law firm for the country of Brazil. So he was, he was kind of a big deal, but he had a, an adult autistic son. First time I met his son, his son was 29 years old and he came to the front door in giant footy pajamas. And this, this cat was about six, five. So it was a very unique experience for me. And it was one that I was not used to. And it was when my son was very, very young. So I started seeing different dynamics. I started wrecking. It's kind of like you buy a, you buy a, a model of a car that you've, that you think is unique. And then suddenly you see it everywhere on the highway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's broadening that sense of our understanding of the world around us by bringing into our sphere things that you thought were unique. Disability, more ability, doesn't matter. Yeah. And I, I, I think I went off on, a, on like a no, no, off on a trail. But. No, it makes sense. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense. I, I think for me, just perspective wise, I just, I've always wanted that perspective that you have to be a normalized perspective without caveat in society and i feel like there's a lot of caveats always going to be a caveat though it doesn't have to be with that stuff there doesn't have to be i think i think gabe said it a little bit ago we have this natural psychological psychological proclivity to take shortcuts yeah Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean we're doing the wrong thing that means sometimes we have to slow down and not take the shortcut, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I think we all do that kind of naturally, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the time we aren't really challenged to think beyond what we think about every day. Mm-hmm. We just go about, you know, our days with what we see. And sometimes if you're living in a certain area, you're not going to see a lot of difference. You're going to see a lot of people that, you know, are a lot like you. And sometimes you got to move to different places to see different things. But I think that a lot of thinking about the world in a broader uh, perspective and exposing yourself to different things could really remedy that because at the end of the day, it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. Like I've never like felt like my disability was that serious. Not that any disability should be seen as, you know, this terrible thing that is just so sad. Ah! Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. But like, I just like laugh at the reactions sometimes. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm not that bad. <laughs> it's like why are you acting like this you're acting like i just like flew down from outer space or something yeah and you know people look at me all the time and call me follically challenged and i you know i it's just the way it is i know i had to come on now you know i had to at least throw one of them out there (laughs) you know what i'll give you a pass on that one you get a pass well at least i said follically okay frolically um can't frolic (laughs) (laughs) so when it comes to your own interactions with people your age or younger uh do you have any stories that you could utilize to maybe paint for those of us who haven't had exposure or experiences um that would allow them to conceptualize differences Mm -hmm. in society of course but i want to like pretext this with like one thing that i also paid attention to with my book Mm-hmm. was that I know that there's this trend of oversharing and like being like, oh, I've gone through all this and it's so sad. And I promise I'm not trying to do that. I just want to enlighten everybody about what experiences I would have to go through 
in my life to just, you know, add to the conversation and really just show from a different perspective because it's not as easy as just switching into somebody's mind. Mm. You know, of course we have empathy, but a lot of the time we're trapped inside our own heads and you can't really guess what somebody else is thinking and you got to hear it from them to maybe guess. So yeah, I'll, I'll share. Definitely. Um, as a kid, I like, didn't really pay attention much to it. I was just a kid being a kid. Um, it, it didn't really present itself as an issue at all until maybe I was in second grade. Um, I remember the only problem that I had was mom and dad would come into my classroom every year and just spill all my stuff to the classmates and just tell them everything about me, which I understand they were trying to do to like protect me. But like they would, they would tell my limitations to the classmates, just like, don't be rough with me, be careful and stuff. And cause you know, kids don't think about that. They need to be told, but it was just kind of embarrassing because you just want to, you know, fit in, especially at that age and just have fun and play. But um, when I was in second grade, I remember the first time I was ever pointed out for being different from other people just by somebody. And it was just like in passing conversation. And it was just like so weird and bizarre. I can't really explain how it felt. But um, it only snowballed from there. Because I found that if I had time with people, they would, you know, end up getting along fine with me. I would make a lot of friends and I would know a lot of people and I would be fine and I would function just like anybody else. But when you're in a family that moves five times a year, mm. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I went to seven different kinder, um, kindergarten schools. Like, Can relate. Yeah, it's good God. But um, yeah, I had to go through that several different times and mm. just like, be alone for longer periods of time and not understood until I would have to fight my way into the crowd and get them to like me. <laughs> so, you know, kind of segueing off of that, is there anything that you wish society understood better about your experience? Um, I honestly wish my experience could be used as how to talk to people. Cause like the way I've just had people talk to me sometimes is just bizarre. They, they lose all tact and decorum <laughs> And, you know, I'll just be sitting and minding my business and then I'll just have some random lady come up to me. This happened to me when I was in like my first year of college. I was just sitting in the cafeteria and this lady came up to me and was like, you are so brave. You (laughs) are so unique and awesome. And I was just like, what the hell, lady, in my mind? But, you know, you're kind of trained. Well, I was trained at least to be nice. People, I was like, oh, thanks. (laughs) But... You know, I I get the people have good intentions. Yeah, I get the people just want to be nice and to really show that uh, you're something special. But sometimes that doesn't come across, especially you know when you're at points where you don't feel your best and you don't feel like you're you're it's working. Like a lot of the time in my life, I've had moments where I'm just like, this isn't working. I'm failing at fitting in. It's like trying so hard. It's like you're this uh it's like you are something from out of space trying to fit in and like how can i fit in yeah um how can i overtake the government yeah you and i would always do that you know after school we'd get together and we'd 
you know, contrive ways to fit in with the humans. It's like the middle-aged <laughs> cop that has to go undercover in high school. Yeah. Hey, yeah. kids. 21 Jump Street. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or that meme of um, Steve Buscemi. Are you Channing Tatum? Are you no, Channing, you're no not, I'm Steve Buscemi. Right. You're, okay. you're not Channing Tatum. I'm Steve Buscemi. Okay. I'm always Steve Buscemi. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I guess the reason, like... Uh, I want to know a little bit more about this is because I really think that talking about this particular topic, at least from the perspective um, of, I guess, normality exposes people to the nonsense that some like that to the lady who said my brother was so brave for existing. You're brave for saying that seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's hard to paint that back to someone when it's, it's hard to say something like, like explain that back to someone when they they don't understand how silly they come off. Yeah. And especially this other time at the same like period of my life, Mm -hmm. I just had this guy come up to me. He was like obsessed with me for like weeks after that. He uh, he, like came up to me from um, this other table and like told me that his friend said something about me to my face. And I was like, I didn't hear anything. I was all the way across the room. How did you deduce the fact that I heard it? Mm-hmm. And it just ends up as somebody inadvertently insulting you. Mm-hmm. And they just expect you to be like, okay, great. Thank you for telling me that. Yeah. And, you know, days after the guy was trying to be nice to me, and you could tell it was like a patronizing, like, you know, there was these patronized. Oh my God. Oh my God. Let's dive into it. Let's go. There were like these most patronizing dynamics I've had with people sometimes mm. where it's like the savior complex you're going to mention earlier, like it's people being nice to you yeah. just because you have a disability and you're different instead of, you know, getting to know you as a person, mm. they're getting to know your exterior and your, your identity. And I've just had multiple dynamics of people in my life like that. And it's so bizarre. Like I can't equate it to anything mm-hmm. that, um, anybody else has experienced i'm sure there's something that's similar to that to um to other people because it can't just be you know for disabled people no it's, it's not no it's just bizarre yeah and I agree. it just leaves you like dumbstruck mm. after I, it I happens often, i often think that people try to insinuate themselves into other people's lives and when they see somebody that is quote-unquote outside that normal viewing parameter that they're used to mm. it's a perfect opportunity for them to ignore all their own internal shit, right? Mm-hmm. And deal with what they perceive might be someone else's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that kind of drives me crazy. I understand it. Yeah. I, I think it's, there's, ah, it, yeah. the woman from her perspective thought she was being the nicest person. I, I, right? I, sometimes, but it's, it's, it's the wrong thing to do. Sometimes really I don't, is. sometimes I don't understand it. And, and 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 maybe this is me just being cynical. Probably you're is. not cynical. Are I'm you not, cynical? never cynical? It could be. It could so. be me being cynical. I, I just because because I, I tend to think, even though I criticize people, I tend to think that everyone is relatively intelligent. Humans mm-hmm. are relatively intelligent. We have yeah. to be. I know we have thumbs, and it's given us the ability to. Uh, you know, well, I, we, some people use them just to hitchhike or though. pick their nose. Um, I mean, so that's so that some people. That's not the one I use. Uh, you know, I use my toes. <laughs> um, so I mean, it, it's uh, for me. Like I tend to think that most people are intelligent. Mm-hmm. I get like complimenting yeah. someone, but here's how you do that in an intelligent way: you walk up to them and you get to know them, and yeah. then you hear about their story. And then you can say, "Wow, thank you for sharing that with me. Mm-hmm. You're so brave." Instead of the first thing saying, 
you're so brave for existing. Thank you so much. Like it just comes off as very strange. Cause it's like, well, what's the alternative? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the alternative? You know what like, it is? Go ahead. You know what it is? I just, I just found the connection to it. It's like the bimbo complex. Like, uh, I remember at one point, can we explain that? Yeah. It's like, you know how people talk about blonde women, like they're just stupid and they don't understand anything <laughs> when that's not the case at all. I'm citing legally blonde right now. And we're by canceled. The way. <laughs> no, that's just how people like perceive them. I love you, blonde girls. I love you, slay. Um, no, but like, yeah, there are people and there's intelligence in there, and mm-hmm. everybody's intelligence intelligent in their own way. Yeah. And I would have moments where I would like insert myself into a conversation, you know, if, if I'm put into a group, mm-hmm. and I'll just be myself, maybe crack a joke, and they'd be like, "Wow, I didn't know you got down like that." Like, what? Am I an idiot? Am I dumb? <laughs> beep, boop, beep, boop. You know, like, like that's, yeah. that's kind of what gets me. Because it's like, I've, I've seen, and I, look, I get it. There's there's grace, and we, we give people, like, you were very good at you it. Know, being very, you, know you were very good. You give people a lot of grace, and I do as well. But I just see it happen all the time, where it's like a deceit. And you can see it, like, if you go overseas, mm-hmm. and someone's, like, experiencing a culture they're not familiar with. Like, there's, like, this weird shift. Mm-hmm. And... I get it. I do. But, you know, I want to interject just for a second. And this is all off the top of my head. There's so, so I'm probably off the entire show. That's true. That is true. It's all off the top of our memorize the entire thing. I I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was in NHS and national, national honor society. And we'd go over to this place called the pathfinders. And it was full of a variety of special needs, both physical and mental. I mean, in some severe, severe things. And I remember at that time, because I had no experience with that at all. My dad was a sociologist. He knew of this place. He would visit uh, people in homes at the end of their life and just to visit with them and be with them and understand them more for an emotional support reason. Mm -hmm. And that was part of our thing at NHS is to go to this Pathfinders and help those folks out. But what it did for me, this is just my, and I might do this wrong all the time. I may be one of these guys that says the wrong thing to the wrong people. You I don't mon- know. You monster. I am. But I'm a bull monster. <laughs> Could Minotaur. Say, Could a Minotaur. You're a bull. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Sorry, I know so I'm not saying. trying to distract yeah, you. No, that's okay. I get distracted yeah. all the time. It's very easy for me. Helping. So, so yeah. I, yeah. So, what I, what I kind of glean for that is I, I had this kind of an internal emotional set point that was moved because of my relationship with these people, some of who couldn't speak or even know that I was there. So I think I developed a different kind of sense for others. And the grace I give to other people that say the wrong things, like the lady you're talking about, (laughs) is that I often think maybe in their lives, there's something going on that made them identify you not just in the normal circle, but in the other part of the Venn diagram. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The crossover part. So they they want to emote to you for some reason, maybe to unburden themselves, or maybe they think it's somehow helping you. It's a, and it's a, it's. I think it's a mistaken thing to do, but I'm. I guess what I'm saying is I kind of understand it in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I don't savior know. complex. 
Yeah. No, you're I'd admitting really, to everyone that you I'm not have trying to say anybody. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> that would be a further extension. That yeah. would be an outward uh, going beyond just emoting or trying to 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 somehow join. Um, it's like speaking on behalf of someone who you think doesn't have the capability correct. of speaking. Yeah. yeah. If if you want instead to go up and not just say what that lady said, but try to grab you, take take you under her wing and put you in some category, that's a whole different thing. That's the savior. Complex. I just imagine like her, her showing up big, you're so brave, and then kidnapping you, bring you on stage and be like, He's so brave. And this is why I'm great. Like, that's what I kind of feel like it that, kind of now that's, that's where it goes over the top. And you yeah. see that in society as a whole in a whole lot of different ways. Yeah, in a very strange... Well, it seems... Well, I'll let you, I, I yeah. think it, it was definitely, like, from the position of trying to make herself feel good. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm such a good person. I just went up to a disabled person or something that looks different yeah. and just, you know, uh, said that. Because I wasn't just, like disabled me i was doing a whole lot of things with my physical appearance i was bleach blonde i was wearing a full face of makeup every day to school i was mm-hmm. just wearing like a, a clothes i don't even know how to explain it but I, I wasn't like elton john or anything i promise you I'm were not, styling you were styling i'm not that gay i promise uh, <laughs> i'm just joking i'm sorry i'm just joking we had canceled twice hey i have cancel away long jokes not that gay. Listen, What's next? <laughs> I have been dragged through the mud socially. That's I get fine. to take some hits too. Sure, fine, fine. Okay. Elton's yeah. called the Rocket Man for a reason. Oh and that's my! A- you can't. No. What? Stop. What? <laughs> Stop. I'm stopping this train. This rocket train. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, wait, I need to. I need to tell you something. I just remembered something about the um, the guy that came up to me mm-hmm. to tell me his friend said something rude about me. I was in a class with him like first day of a class and he was just there and like he announced to the class in front of me because i think by the way i was looking i think he thought i was a social justice warrior or something Ah. and he was like i promise i'm open-minded and i (laughs) let me qualify Uh, i i understand that i have privilege and I know that other people in this room are different, and it's just something like that. It was like a fever dream, and he dropped out of the class the next day. I'm surprised everybody didn't just look at him and go, what? Well, that's what I, I guess that's what I'm getting at, because, look, I, I, <laughs> whatever ally means today is not what I was taught it meant when I was a kid, okay? So when I, when I looked at a situation, whether it was with you or when, my mom, she works or worked, I believe she's still in wound care, right? Yeah. Um, so she's worked in wound care for 20 plus years. And when I was younger, I would go and spend time with some of the patients that she had, some of whom were n- not doing well, right? So I saw kind of, in addition to you being my brother, I also saw people in kind of the worst possible state they could be in. And I got exposed to these alternative ways of viewing people. And when I see stuff like that today, it just, it's like, it's like when I hear someone talk about like how there, there is, um, it's like when I hear someone talk about like other countries when they have never been out of the country, Mm -hmm. you kind of under, you kind of see, you can kind of see through it. You can kind of be like, okay, like no, not everyone is a criminal in like some like you get like not everything is completely falling apart somewhere. Like you get what I'm saying? Like it, there's this like weird perspective and like maybe prism shift that doesn't happen with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear something like that, I'm like, 
if I had been sitting there, <laughs> he's lucky I wasn't sitting there because I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, what, <laughs> what, what do you, gets to the purely gates, God opens the gates and is like, Billy, because you said that in that one class in women's you are studies not or, or psychology, <laughs> intro to psych, you are absolved of all of your sins. Like, I, like I, don't, I don't see that as doing that. I mm-hmm. see it more as offensive. And when it comes to, like, people who claim to be allies about something, if you have to claim that you're an ally to something, are you an ally? actions not words it's exactly all mm-hmm. you know like like and that's kind of where i see this now i think we're trending into like the savior complex uh trend that's uh going in so i'd love to talk uh, going on over the last few years i'd love to talk about that um obviously on social media the interest in marginalized groups has never been at an, i mean it's at an all-time high the stocks mm-hmm. are going through the roof the nasdaq and the dow are going down while the stocks and marginalized groups are going sky high people seem eager to proclaim that they are in support of any initiative that will present themselves in a positive light. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this virtue signaling type behavior and what's your opinion on its effects when it comes to disadvantaged groups? I think it's a slippery slope, honestly, because, you know, there's this whole philosophical thing. I think, um, a good, a good descriptor of this is if you've seen the, the, the TV show, the good place Mm -hmm. where there's this whole thing where you're doing something good to get brownie points and to feel like you're a good person and to feel like you're on the right track rather than just doing something because you want to do it mm. rather than just doing something because you know it's right and because it, you know it's inherently the right thing to do and to actually be a good person because you know i think a lot of it is driven by fear of getting in trouble and doing the wrong thing because people i know that people don't want to be prejudiced i know they don't want to be you know ableist sexist racist homophobic i know they don't want to be those things i mean some people obviously do. some some people some do of, some of them really want to <laughs> some but, you can't uh, stop apparently but i i think the majority of people don't yeah and i know earlier we were talking about the fact that i think things get so awkward like that uh like the situations that i ex- um, explained before because we don't talk about this stuff often mm. like i didn't even know ableism was a word until i was like maybe 19 or 20 yeah. And I'm literally the person that it affects because people just don't talk about it. There was this whole culture of never talking about the hard stuff for the longest time. And it's definitely made its imprint on our culture and it's having its negative effects. And there's again, like, I guess I could compare it to how I didn't have any precedence for the things that I experienced in my life. How exactly can you always make the right choices and the, say the right things and do the right things when you don't exactly have a map mm. because not everybody is innovative. Not everybody. Well, pe- I'm not going to say that not everybody's innovative because that's not true. I think people are innovative in their own ways, but not everybody can find their way to the first step. Mm. And I know there is precedence in some way with civil uh, rights and uh, being socially progressive because we've had like maybe a hundred years or so of fighting for people's, uh, equality mm. and being treated equally with other people. But, you know, it doesn't always apply because the times change. Mm. You know, we don't have laws that restrict people as much as, much as we did back then. Mm. Of course, they still exist. I'm not going to say that they don't uh, because that's not true. But times are changing mm. always. 
And if you're not having conversations that equally keep up with those times changing, how are you going to keep up with them? Yeah. How do you think that we as a society can tread the line between conversation and accusation? I know it's a honestly, hard one. Sorry, I said I would bring the hard questions. That was a hard one. Honestly, I think it would be like trying to talk more about it. And I think that in order for us to talk more about it, we need to listen. We need to listen to the things that we don't want to hear. I know a big thing in the co- country right now is sil- silencing things that we don't want to hear because they may feel threatening and scary. And again, I, there is this fear of getting in trouble because you don't say the right thing or you mess up or, you know, it's it's sort of morphed from wanting to have accountability for how people treat you wrongly when you're a minority because you don't really get it ever. You don't really get it. And as much as people want it, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not as simple as just, you know, cussing someone out or exposing them. You know, it, it's not, it doesn't really address the problem as it should. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but myself just wants to see, a more just society Mm. where people treat each other with more justice and kindness and, you know, grace. Yeah. So you think it's probably more of a cross, a cross spectrum uh, discussion as opposed to saying, because, because here's the thing, here's what I want to make sure. Mm -hmm. Cause, cause I agree with you. I agree with you in that area. Mm -hmm. I think that people tend to need when it comes to some of these discussions an antagonist of some sort Mm -hmm. and what i find when i have discussions with people is that any semblance of criticism of how one thing is going in a certain direction is immediately slapped down Mm -hmm. with a high level of vitriol so basically what i'm taking from what you're saying is that there needs to be an open discussion on all ends yeah open audience listening to all sides yeah, I think, uh, of course, it needs to start with listening. Because, again, if you don't have any basis mm-hmm. at all for this stuff, you're not going to know what you're talking about. You need to hear it from the people that go through it. You know, you need to just let them talk because there's nothing worse than being spoken over or uh, people assuming what you feel and assuming that you're okay when that's not the truth at all. And a lot of it, a lot of backing that it needs to have is people understanding that not everybody's going to be right we're all going to be wrong at some point, you know, and it's, it's not me like attacking like people for uh, wanting accountability for people from saying something wrong. It's okay to say, Hey, that wasn't cool. You need to, you know, admit that it wasn't cool or whatnot. It's people that may mess up that need to admit that they're wrong. Because Mm -hmm. I think something that will really, really do well for society is people having humility and having you know integrity and saying hey i was wrong Mm -hmm. and i want to know more and instead of just saying something to get it out of the way or saying something to get people off your back Mm -hmm. i think that we need a lot of more we need a lot more just transparency and being real people and just being authentic because i don't think authenticity is a big theme in society right now yeah i think people find value in hiding so and, you know just not being uh blunt with people not not blunt but like being 
what's the word genuine genuine yeah yeah no i i agree i think so my perspective has always been that when you segment society with different terms and different identities and different views you tend to separate people into groups that are lobbying for power and how i've always seen it when it like so we can bring up the term ableism you're further segmenting someone with that designation i understand that it is it is a it's meant to defend a group let that group defend itself yeah you know because 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 i've always and here's here's the thing i get it sometimes people can't not everyone can't and i tend to see this habit like habitual pattern in society when it comes to marginalized groups doesn't matter what groups where the marginalized group says one thing Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of people swoop in and take that thing and it becomes something else entirely something totally different than what the original it's like a game of psychosis like psychotic telephone like there, there there isn't a trend line of consistency and then it eventually morphs into something that's so con, con, uh, um, convoluted that it's the original message doesn't even make any sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at something like a like like you, you bring up the experiences you've had with people like speaking you know for you or saying weird things to you, and then your example of someone talking over you, I look at that and I'm like, I, I totally get where you're coming from because there needs to come a point when people do need to listen. On the adverse, on the on the inverse side of that, there also needs to come a point where that people, the people who are speaking, need to also listen to the alternative. Of course, and I think that your point is astutely said in basically applying to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a, a challenge today is the the lack of the ability to allow the other person or persons in the room to speak their mind. Yeah, I, I think that. You know, your points are very valid in terms of people need to understand what they're saying and even apologize for it. But if they never get a chance to speak it, then they're never going to know. And if everybody is saying what they think is the right thing for the other person to hear, then you're narrowing the focus on kind of their own reality and you're creating even Mm -hmm. more bifurcated segments, more more group Mm -hmm. think. And that goes counter to my way of thinking. I... I don't mind groups. I think we all kind of collectively fall into multiple groups at a time, but we don't want to lose our individuality. Mm -hmm. And when we lose the ability to talk to one another, we lose that individuality. Yeah. What I've noticed is that with a lot of causes in the world, because I don't want to, I want to make it like very clear that, well, what you said earlier, people have intelligence, you know, like people have their their points for reasons, and I'm not I'm not saying that to justify like very wrong things. I'm not saying that I promise because there are very wrong points to be made that people make today and in the past too. But at the core, a lot of the biggest movements are very fair arguments because even with religion, religion at its core has very fair arguments, even though it's been used and abused for the wrong things, mm-hmm. and the reason why people get so lost in translation is because they don't listen to each other. Nobody listens to each other. They don't try to find the common thread between every, um, every conversation they have. They don't try to understand. They listen to wait to respond. They don't listen to understand. And I think the group, the group thing kind of makes that harder because 
you know, again, people want to be on the right side. People want to do the right thing. But it's not easy in this world, especially now in the world of algorithms and appealing to you and just appealing to rage mm-hmm. and to anger rather than to uh, just appealing to everybody and appealing to conversation and to understanding. And I think that understanding is another big step that we need in order to progress because if we don't understand each other, then how are we going to ever communicate correctly? Do you think that that appealment to rage on behalf of pop culture society, do you think that it benefits to some degree a movement like say for example there's a mo- say there say there's a, a movement for you know a specific disability do you think a, a a a appealment to rage benefits that specific group or do you think it clouds everything and makes it almost impossible to distinguish what that particular group needs in my experience and in the boxes that I've been put in I've learned that if I get angry, I'm going to be demonized. I'm going to not be heard. I'm going to be the villain a lot easier than somebody that may not have a disability and who may just be a regular uh, regular guy on the street or whatnot because I'm only perceived as innocent and the victim and never ever more than that. And the minute I deviate from that, especially with anger, I will not be heard. I will not be understood and I will not be respected. So I think that people will use your rage against you. They really will. And if there's just this conglomerate of people that are angry, they're just, you know, constantly, you know, it it just seems like they're constantly angry at people and they're constantly fighting with people and just acting like, you know, I'm not going to act like some rager, uh, like some anger, sorry, not rager. Some <laughs> anger is unjustified because uh, it's easy to see how somebody like me can get very angry mm-hmm. at the world. And it's easy to see how the crowd of, of people like that could get collectively angry and want justice. But people will use it against you. And it's not that uh, people can't be productive when they're angry. That's not the case at all. That's not what anybody is saying. I just think that people will use it as a weapon against you and they will use it for a reason not to understand you and for a reason to not hear you. They will cling to that and make that your face rather than the person that's behind you. Well, behind your skin, not behind you. They're the person behind you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guy in the darkness. Um, well, and that Shyamalan you, movie. You know, there, there, it's funny because there is, there is definitely a lot to be said because you can see it in the society in all kinds of directions right now the vocal minorities get an awful lot of attention mm-hmm. they really do and it, but what ends up happening is it will create a or have a certain number of people or groups coalesce around that attention you know the the, the quote-unquote fr- angry fringes because you get that social media attention it may be maybe mainstream media attention even mm-hmm. doing something like that but you also create a harder line between you and probably the people you're trying to make understand what you're going through, right? Mm-hmm. It, the, the challenge has always been you can take a more subtle approach, a logical approach to try to 
to bring people to a recognition of what you're about or why they should be looking at you or your group in whatever way you're trying to determine. But does it, is it as effective? That's the mm-hmm. whole juggling act. I, when I was, when, you know, when my kids were young, I used to talk, talk to them all the time about, you know, know your audience when you're talking, know your audience. Now, what I really wanted to probably should have really told them is while you're required to do things, schooling, for instance, when you're required to do things, know what your teacher wants you to say. Mm-hmm. Now you can, you can be a rebel. There's plenty of, of us that have been that way. I was not. Maybe you guys were. I don't know. But my whole point was if your goal is to graduate, if your goal is to move on to the next level of your life, then know your audience. Now, to your point earlier, when you were talking about your writing styles going from age 17 to 22, between those two, one was you were trying to transform between a not adult to an adult Mm -hmm. in all the responsibilities and understandings and developing a, a worldview that that has changed. So you go from having to know your audience and adhere to that to saying, screw it. I'm going to do my poetry the way I want to do it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that people need to identify and look at and understand the difference between those two things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just really important to, you know, of course, know your audience because it's always important to appeal to people if you really want them to hear you. Because people like it when you appeal to them. They like it when they can connect to you. And they like it when they can see themselves in you. But also say what you want from your heart and say it with grace and say it just with you know complete sincerity because people want sincerity from people. Mm. I know that we do have a culture of, have, um, of lack of authenticity but at people's core, they want something real, either in a partner or in a friendship or just in an experience. They want that real, no matter how much they pretend like they don't. And I think if you can offer that to people, then that can be a way of them wanting to understand you. Do you think that with social media's propensity to um, almost create these cultural movements around specific marginalized groups, do you think that that initially creates a pseudo real experience for the people that feel as if they're represented. And then as time goes on, do you feel that that stays like genuine or do you think it kind of fades out as more opportunity to become more impactful socially um, becomes uh, readily available for those group, for those movements? I just think it can just easily erupt into chaos because I remember, you know, I'm I am a part of the LGBTQ community. I uh, I remember, you know, a time where being a, a part of that community was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-uh. you can't say that out loud. You can't. I mean, there was literal "don't ask, don't tell" laws out by our own government at one point, and luckily. Before I turned 18, I was federally allowed to marry everywhere in the country. Um, And that happened in, I think, 2015. I think I already said that. But those were great things that happened. Those were great for people. Those were great for everybody. There was a big, you know, incline and acceptance and openness for people and wanting to hear from them. And while it's great that there's more exposure for people, in the wrong hands, it can cause a whole lot of chaos because guess what? Now, you know, 
I think a lot of people, especially younger than me, don't remember that before. They, you know, can take advantage of the fact that they can be who they are out in the open. And even I have, because I was, I was born in a sweet spot. Like I could just do whatever I wanted at a, just a sweet spot of time. But, you know, I know people older than me that remember what it was like, uh, not 23 years ago. I mean, I think people were still getting, you know, killed for being gay in the nineties, like late nineties around when I was born. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't really appreciate that. And so it can spit out of control with, you know, people kind of being too aggressive about it. And then it gives, like I said, with the aggression thing, it gives fuel to people who don't want to understand you. Mm-hmm. It fuels their fire yep. because they're threatened and scared. And if you give them just enough fuel, the tides will start to turn. And we're kind of seeing that right now. We're kind of seeing the seeds yeah. of that right now. And it's not fun and it's sad. Well, I think the, the unfortunate part about it too, cause I can, the biggest thing I can relate it to is like the BLM movement in 2020, a bunch of people jumped on the bandwagon, a bunch of people got really mad and then communities were destroyed and people who live in those communities didn't see any semblance as far as I can tell of change. It was just a loud explosion into the, uh, essence of nothing that is the universe. And Granted, um, it also came out later that the founders were also scam artists. But with that being said, I think the problem that I keep seeing, because this is BLM is not just exclusive to itself. I think the same thing in a lot of ways is happening as a third party observer to the LGBTQ community. And I don't mean it in the sense that good things aren't happening, because I agree with you. I think that was a very good thing. I think, frankly, my understanding and my understanding has always been to just let people for the most part, as long as it's not a a hugely terrible thing oppressing other people. If there's legality in the way of certain things, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Federal government should not have control to determine who we marry. Unless of course there is that hugely moral argument that it seems to be getting pushed at envelope wise when it comes to the children. With that being said though, um, my biggest thing is it seems to be a common theme amongst cultural movements today where there'll be a spark of something that's relatively good. And then, as I said before, people swoop right in, they take the reins and that spark of individuals who thought they had a good idea, trust those people to do it. And then it just spirals out of control. Mm -hmm. And my, I think our discussions always kind of hinge around being able to keep things in a moderate medium. Yeah. Right. Things pendulum though. They always do that. And I think your point is correct that, that, Almost anything can be moved from a semblance of reason to a, to a chaotic state almost at the drop of a hat. We've watched that, especially over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. in, in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is always the same. How do you keep things within a reasonable parameter? Everybody, sh- I think everybody should be able to argue pros and cons about almost any subject you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It really doesn't to me. And I'm one of those people that can see all these different sides. And then I start, you know, moving, as I often talk about, course correcting my worldview based on taking in all that information. The problem is, is if the information becomes slanted or some information is kept away like we see today. That's when I have a problem because it reminds me of when I grew up before social media, before you know, when th- there used to be people walking around door to door trying to sell Encyclopedia Britannica. Can you imagine that anymore today? 
I, and so you guys were talking about the word ableist. I didn't hear that till just a few years ago myself. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because I wouldn't have understood it. It's because, and it's not because nobody would have talked about it. It's because the information flow had no speed to it whatsoever. And the speed was controlled by large outlets that determined everything you read in a newspaper or saw on TV, the three channels that there were or four or whatever it was. Nowadays, you can get your information a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. It's almost too much noise. It's a cacophony of information. Well, and I think the cacophony of information, because I, I agree with that point, because it, it is almost astonishing, because there come, there's going to come a certain point where, and we've discussed this before as well, where technology is going to hit that singularity and no one's going to be able to keep up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's gotten to that point with information where people like, well, I don't know about you. So but, it's information than ideas. Yeah. So and, it's in that in that structure. Well, right? and then technology. So once we get those three behemoths of uh, the th- three the but three horsemen the, of the end times um once we don't want to information is one thing yeah there's there's single data points that you can sort through and look for stuff and i'm sorry to no I, I get it but no, it's the, cool the ideas are the things you never want to lose yeah you never want to lose the ability to throw them out there and understand them and debate them and go over them because we're social human be- i mean human beings are social creatures well i guess i guess that comes back to my, my point is that you don't want to lose that initial idea and when i see along online all the time because i see some of the crazy stuff on instagram and tiktok it is sometimes very funny and also like dude how did we get here i i feel like there's this point now especially almost in any community where we've got that shifting etymology of certain things so like the definition the traditional definition of homosexuality is not the same today mm-hmm. it's just not what it's not the same as what you and i grew up with it's not the same in a lot of ways of what we understand because and i don't want to say it's been hijacked but i feel like it kind of has been because you've got a lot of individuals that come in, they see this power base that we've discussed. They see this opportunity for, um, I guess, marginalism, marginalized points, I guess it would be a good way to do it. Because that's very popular today. And what they end up doing is they end up conflating everything to the point where it's like, what's up, what's down, what's left, what's right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that I see is like, well, how do we keep representing people who are marginalized if individuals come in and don't have any self-control and keep pushing the envelope to such a far point that you can't even determine who's marginalized anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not saying that like, and I get it. Like people want, they want everything to be acceptable and accepted. And I agree with that to an extent Mm -hmm. because there is a threshold. There's a threshold. There's a return on things. And to your point, the last thing I want is us to go back 50, 60 years. We've already done it in a lot of ways when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, community interaction. Now it's already happened. Mm-hmm. So I don't want that to happen as well in other areas because like, I feel like we made a lot of steps forward and now we're kind of going backwards in a lot of ways. Medicine and freaking well, social interactions. It's just ridiculous. Hey, look, there are three people in this room. We can agree on some things and we disagree on some things. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we agree on more than we disagree with. Maybe it's the other way around and it doesn't really matter. Mm. All three of us are very fond of each other. Right, I hope. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I hope you guys like me. Why aren't you including? Why aren't you including <laughs> the uh, the guy behind us all? The fourth guy. The fourth guy. Well, you mentioned fourth, the fourth. While wall, we're talking the, about the fourth wall, us, what about the knife behind me? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. But it, you know it, that that whole. But there's such a difference between acceptance and agreement. Yeah. Okay. There are a ton of people and a ton of things out in the world that I totally accept as part of our world, and it's part of my worldview. Mm-hmm. 
doesn't mean I agree with it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are tons of things that you or anybody else would disagree with me on. I think that a lot of a lot of the the whole confusion has stemmed from the fact that communities like the gay community, for instance, and LGBTQ community, I'm sorry, uh, but over a period of years, they did, like they progressed so far and like way further than they did in the last hundred years about, you know, things like uh, gender theory mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, the dynamics of you know, homosexuality and stuff like that in our culture. And they went from, for a long time, nobody ever knowing anything about it or talking mm-hmm. about it and it being kind of like a niche thing that you had to explore yourself if you want to know anything about it, to it being everywhere and to everybody contributing to the conversation and to being open to it and seeing it. And when you contrast that with a culture that isn't gay or isn't a part of that community, and they don't know what the hell you're talking about, and they haven't had any like base for what you're talking about or any um, pretext or uh, what's that term that's usually used in um, court cases? Uh Precedence. Precedence, yeah. They don't have any precedence for this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's obviously going to cause a lot of pushback. Not that all of it is wrong and not that all of it doesn't have any credence to it because, Mm -hmm. of course, there is a reasonable argument in questioning how our social constructs are and Mm -hmm. why people have to be one way or the other rather Mm than being gray. Mm -hmm. And it just caused... I think people developing too fast, which there's nothing wrong with development. There's nothing wrong with progressing and trying new things and evolving as a society. But I think paired with technology and how fast things move with technology, I think that the fast movement caused some of this pushback because if you don't give people time, like people had time with being gay, Mm -hmm. people had a lot of time with coming to terms with that. It took them like what? I don't know, 50 years of talking about it. Yeah. Yeah if they don't have that time to like get normalized with it and say, Hey, this is, this is normal. Why are we arguing with um, arguing about this so much? Why do we care? And if you don't have that, then that can result in problems. Well, I think, I think, I think, I think the, dis, the, you know, the disconnect that I see with a lot of this is there's not a whole ton of oversight. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is not, not that people need to be told that they're wrong, but that, there is a point in time where we're discussing, if we're discussing any particular subject, be it science, math, there's, there are limits to the discussion as cognitively, we can't understand certain things. And uh, abstractly, there are certain things that kind of discount the discussion. Mm -hmm. It's contradictory. So the way I look at it is because there's no oversight specifically with the technology and everyone being able to contribute, it's almost as if, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost as if the argument that LGBTQ is professing over the last few years is almost self cannibalizing itself. Do you feel that at all? Cause I'm seeing it in a lot of ways in that you got someone like we talk about traditional homosexuality. You're born a certain way. You have an attraction to a certain person, individual. You, you want to live a certain life. Now the common thread is that's no longer the case because anyone can choose to be anything at any given time in any given place. Mm-hmm. How do you, how does that community? And this is, just your opinion, you don't have to speak on behalf of anyone, but how do you wrestle with that contradiction personally? I just do what I want. Yeah. Like, um, and I think that a lot, of, I say this a lot, but I think that 
quite a lot of the discourse that I know this is going to kind of counteract with some of the argument I've been making, but quite a lot of the discourse is a red herring mm-hmm. and is kind of blown out of proportion because of how algorithms work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see something that is going to get a lot of interaction, whether good or bad, it can be used to generalize people and it can be used to generalize the situation. You know, I know for a fact that a lot of people in my community don't believe everything that's out there that people think that the LGBTQ community believes. Like I know for sure that most gay people and most people in the LGBTQ community don't want to hurt children. Mm-hmm. I know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Even if people may be trying to push that narrative. I mean, I know there may be some people that, you know, of course there's people who prey on children. Yeah. Those exist. But I think that a lot of the problem does come from, sort of generalizing people and generalizing situations based on what you see online. Because, you know, I remember when I was a kid, um, your generation probably got it too. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. That was drilled into our heads. Like internet safety was drilled in our heads. Don't tell anybody anything about you. And now it's kind of faded away. And I think a lot of maybe people from past generations that didn't have that education kind of fell prey to that and people from younger generations too. Cause I don't think that that applies anymore because I just see kids on TikTok who tell you where they are mm-hmm. and who take tours of their houses and show them outside of where they are and just share so much. And as much as people can make wrong points and, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying anything is right or wrong. I'm not specifying my beliefs in this mm-hmm. um, statement, you know, it's just really complicated for people, yeah. both in the LGBTQ community and outside of it. So, you go ahead. Your life is also exposed today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, have to, I don't know where the segment where we would draw that and it changes all the time from generation to generation, but I was talking to a, a buddy of mine the other day, and I mean, I can probably find a handful of Polaroids that we were all in when I was a kid, you know, I mean, truly, I know that sounds odd, but that was norm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I often, I often tell people that some of the challenges, uh, I was going to say, you're not, and neither of you are kids, you're both adults, but you're of two different generations really. But I don't know. I'm not sure how I would have survived with, the onslaught of information that's coming at you. And it's not even that I love information. It's, it's the requirement to expose yourself to everything out there. Cause that's what everybody's doing. They're mentally, going, not, boom. not physically, mentally, not physically. Yes. Let's, <laughs> that's, that's like one of my jokes. Come on. You, you, you had to let me have at least one. I was pretty good. Um, no, I, I, I agree. And that's kind of like the, the quandary that I find myself in because and keep up with this stuff. You know, you and I talk all the time. Mm-hmm. And and the biggest thing I see is like, it, we can talk about the the identification that people now have of, of self-identifying as having a disability. Isn't that case in point, the very issue that further contributes to the dissolving of a, a, represent, a community that should be represented in society? Because if you have a group of people that come in and, don't have any diagnosis, don't have any medical understanding, don't just, they just self-identify as something. 
that's erasing people and whatever benefit and whatever support they would have had in society just by doing that. It just mm-hmm. totally gets rid of the argument. And I get it. I get that there's a dynamic there and I'm not trying to discount people. I just think that it would be foolish for anyone to believe someone for their word. I just always, I always think that that's foolish and I don't mean in the sense you need to be like, okay, Sherlock Holmes and you put on a hat and, you know, smoke a cigar. You don't need to do that. I just mean that there's, there's, there tends to be this knee jerk reaction that some people have of just believing things at face value. But see, that's that. And we've talked about this before. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the way I grew up. You take things at face value first Mm -hmm. and then you extract more information and your your opinion might change mm-hmm. negatively or positively. And that's why the Freedom of Information but. Act exists and Patriot Act <laughs> happened. And that's exactly why <laughs> Edward Snowden and Julian Assange are totally ostracized by our country. And now we're really because I believe officially face value. Yes. It's it's all the boomers' fault. No, it's always, always. I knew always. you wouldn't be able to get through an entire episode without blaming the boomers. I've gone through some. I've gone through some. Yeah, this is the first one. I'm just I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> Maybe this means we need to take on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah. I don't. I mean, I just. I think it's. I think it's interesting just to think about that, right? Because mm-hmm. I think over time, specifically in the next five years, we're gonna see, uh, we're gonna see some interesting things. Um, and I mean it in the sense of like a social perspective. I'm not talking, I'm not doom and glooming, even though there is that argument as well. Um, just from a social perspective, I think there's going to be some interesting things. There's going to be some interesting steps forward. And I think there's going to be some interesting steps backwards. And I think from this conversation, the best thing that we can maybe gather or garner from each other is that open dialogue that you suggested. Um, and for anyone listening and viewing, I think that's probably the best encouragement that we can give Anyone, even if you feel that frustration, that anger, it is always good to at least be open to listening. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's my and piece. do research. You know, research. You yep. don't you don't have to wait for people to tell you these things. You know, you yep. can you can look up you know sources from online and just learn about history and about how people have come to where they are from where they were. Uh, there's always value in that, and always value in, for instance. Uh, reading uh, maybe some material from mm. um, minorities, mm. like just seeing from their unique perspective and what they think about the world. Because then if you if you know what they're thinking, again, you could probably guess what they're thinking now and maybe find some way to connect with them. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good place to end the episode. Um, that basically wraps it up. Gabe, it has been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. Um, I really think that it was and is going to be for our viewers and listeners something that they can really take away a lot of, um, Mm -hmm. one, wisdom, and two, uh, maybe some prism shifts on opinions. Um, For our listeners and viewers, what is the best possible place that people can support you? How can they they support you going forward? Um, You can go on Amazon and buy my book, Morning Glories and an Ocean View by G. Holiday. Or you can go to my Instagram that I, I hardly use, um, at Goth Ambition. Um, it's play on Blonde Ambition. It's fun <laughs> because I have dark hair. Um, but I just want to make an advisory. I'm very hyperbolic. I joke a lot. Anything that sounds outrageous that I said in this episode was a joke. I promise. <laughs> I promise. I don't think blondes are stupid. Stand by, dude. It's fine. No, it's they know. I was. Hey, I was blonde. I was blonde for a period of time. Mm-hmm. 
I lived the life. Maybe I was stupid, <laughs> but I wasn't really. Well, uh, uh, you know. no need to preface. I think people. Mm-hmm. I think we've been clear enough where people are going to be able to kind of pull from what this what they want to and obviously everyone knows online there's always gonna be somebody um but yeah i guess that's about it bull anything else to add that is it man that was awesome awesome well thank you to the wolf bull family thank you so much for tuning in if you happened to enjoy this episode again i did not ask for a subscription because i never do in the very beginning because i want you to take away something from this episode i want you to find value if you found value if you happen to like our content you can find it on youtube it is coming out normally every week there's been some stuff going on the last few weeks that have kind of stopped that for at least a week and a half with that being said though normally every week comes out on youtube i believe on fridays video wise thursdays audio wise and you can also find our content on instagram at the wolf and bull we have clips we have posts we have all the stuff it comes out all the time and if you'd like to support my brother we're gonna have everything in the episode and everything in the description for you to do so Uh, but thanks again and we will catch you next week Thank you for tuning in to the Wolf and Bull podcast. Our team here at the Wolf and Bull and Damore Media are so happy you spent some time with us. If you liked this episode, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A review will help grow our show and we'd love for you to be a part of our family. If you'd like more content from the Wolf and Bull, you can find it at our Instagram at the Wolf and Bull and on YouTube and Rumble via the Wolf and Bull. Thank you again and we'll see you next week.